0: on life hello and welcome to Lucas on life first of all apologies for the rather thin voice I'm recovering from post-Christmas lurgies well in case you haven't heard that book is due out in 48 hours and the royal family are apparently bracing themselves for its arrival that book of course is the tell all account from Prince Harry which according to a leaked bombshell this week includes details of a physical attack from our next king upon his brother. They say it wasn't a fight because Harry didn't fight back. Royal insiders, according to the Mirror, have labelled Harry's choice of title, it's called The Spare, as everything from nuclear to confrontational. And according to the Daily Mail, a source says the book's title is loaded and it does not bode well. All this together with that Netflix documentary and then an ITV interview that airs this weekend will surely add fuel to the royal fire. The ongoing saga has obviously polarized popular opinion. Some of us sympathize with Meghan and Harry, feeling that they've been bewildered by a monolithic royal firm that is rigid and uncompromising. Others feel that whatever the grievances, they should not have taken them public. After all, as this weekend's ITV interview questions, how can Harry complain about loss of privacy when he has ripped aside any cover of privacy from his own family without their permission? Others question motives when a rumored payment of $100 million is discussed. Now, if you're like me, You're already weary of all of this before the book comes out. And fear not, because we're not going to linger on the spats and squabbles of the Windsors tonight, although we will pray for them before we close. But as ever, I want to use a story that is dominating the current news feed to challenge our own hearts. You see, churches can be places of community and authentic shared life. And let's be honest, they can be cauldrons of conflict too. So tonight we'll ponder two areas where conflict is often unresolved. Offense. Some of us are just so easily offended. I think we got upset with the midwife when we were born. Don't you slap me. And then some of us feel conflict because of our lack of self-awareness, where we fail to see our own faults and failures. Handling conflict here on Lucas on Life. We're talking conflict tonight and often conflict rages because we fail to see where we are part of the problem. In short, we see a speck in somebody else's eye and ignore the great big plank that's sticking out of our own. Sound familiar? I learned about this during an outing with some friends recently. Settling down for a treat breakfast in a rather posh restaurant, we soaked up the ambience of the place. There was a gorgeous old fireplace... Logs smouldering, emitting that glorious smell of charred wood. The walls were bedecked with silk wallpaper and waistcoated waiters dashed here and there with platefuls of steaming food. Lovely. Gentle background music, canned but well chosen, complemented the sedate atmosphere. But then suddenly everything changed. The music shifted into a twinkly rendition of Bar Bar Black Sheep which played through in about 20 seconds, and then repeated, and repeated again, and then, incredibly, again. Ten minutes later, having heard the question to the aforementioned black sheep concerning whether or not it actually had any wall, and discovering once again that indeed wall was plenteous, three bags full in fact, we got restless, agitated. Surely the CD or MP3 player had got stuck, Other diners were frowning following that great British tradition of noticing that something was wrong, but not actually saying anything about it, so as not to cause a fuss, but then looking forward to the opportunity of grumbling later on. Ten minutes later, the sheepish repetition was beginning to feel like musical torture, so I decided to raise a question with a passing waiter. Excuse me, can I just ask, what's going on with the music? He tilted his head to one side, the strange posture of one who wants to communicate that they are listening intently, and he agreed. Yes, sir, that is odd. I'll check. Off he went and restarted the player, only now there were two tracks playing simultaneously, a cacophonic collision between bark and those irritating sheep. Other diners, emboldened by my inquiry of the waiter, moved into stage one of British complaining, which involves rolling one's eyes and sighing. The next stage would be full-on huffing and puffing, but we were not quite there yet. The waiter returned to our table looking bewildered, but it was then that the awful, hideous moment came, and the memory of it makes me cringe even as I share it here. The waiter pointed down to the floor to a handbag owned by one of our little group, that music is coming from that bag. Your bag, he cried triumphantly, with the glee normally associated with a detective who has cracked the difficult who-done-it case. And indeed, the music was emanating from that bag. Somehow, a mobile phone had clicked onto a game app for small children, which was playing Bar Bar Black Sheep over and over and over and over again. Suddenly, the eye-rolling and sighing around the restaurant stopped to be replaced by chilly glares in our direction. I felt the frost. I had complained, but we were the source of the problem. Frustrated by the repetition, we were blissfully unaware that we were the ones to blame. Guilty as charged, my lord. In telling a story that is reminiscent of Monty Python, Jesus painted a portrait of a hapless chap who runs around with a magnifying glass Mustard keen to identify specks of sawdust in the eyes of others, but all along oblivious to the whacking great plank that sticks out of his own head. Apparently, this log in Jesus' day would have been the main support for a house, which would have made it about 12 metres long, a significant protrusion. This farcical scene is frequently played out, especially in churches. Fault-finding souls, eager to catch people doing or believing something that they view as suspect, patrol around searching for someone or something to correct. Sometimes they get together to form squadrons. When they find something that appears to be amiss, they pounce on it with unseemly joy, thrilled by yet another opportunity to highlight a problem or see others fail. There's a word for this perverse desire: schagenfreude which literally means harm joy in German, the peculiar pleasure people derive from others' misfortune. The word is a combination of the German noun schaden, which means damage or harm, and freud, meaning joy. So it makes sense that schadenfreude means joy over some harm or misfortune suffered by another, and that's a very unpleasant trait. Sometimes we can be thrilled when others stumble because we've simmered with envy at their success or we justify being glad at their stumbling by appealing to a sense of justice. It's only right that they were exposed. They got what they deserved. But some psychologists believe that we're more likely to pop open a cork of celebration when others fail when we dehumanize them, viewing them as objects of scrutiny rather than real flesh-and-blood human beings much loved by God we take a pathological view, seeing them as exhibits rather than people. Ironically, when we do this, our unkind, cruel attitude might be far worse than the issue that we determine to correct, but we can remain blissfully unaware of this. Hobbies can provide distraction, and so perhaps some of us take up fault-finding as a hobby in order to spare ourselves the demanding discomfort of self-discovery, peering at others through a magnifying glass is so much easier than staring at ourselves in a mirror. If we're in the habit of locating sawdust specks, perhaps it's time to focus more on what we're often blind to, our own faults and foibles. Meanwhile, back at breakfast, the sheepish serenade was hastily silenced, calm was restored, but I still felt the need to depart in haste because the dining room glares continued. Nobody likes a picky complainer. I think a rather huge apology to the staff is required, boomed a chap at the next table, and I complied, begging forgiveness from the grinning waiters. Who knows, if you've been a plank-spouting, speck-hunting, picky person, it might be that you are the cause of some grief. Perhaps, dare I say it, in your life, a rather huge apology is required somewhere too. As we continue tonight to reflect on the thorny subject of conflict, let's face the fact that some of us seem to make a lifestyle out of being offended, and I can be one of those people. It happened when I was traveling by train to London. I decided to make the best use of time and do some writing. Tiny fold-down tables are provided for the parking of laptops, tables that are meant to be shared, hence the source of my offendedness. The man sitting opposite me was taking up about 62.9% of the table space, leaving a lot less for me, and I was quietly outraged. But there was more because this now brazen table hogger placed a steaming hot cup of coffee on the table as well, taking up yet more space but risking third-degree burns to yours truly if the juddering train should topple it. Now I found myself actually planning for that coffee to topple, mentally rehearsing for a withering speech should I end up being scalded. I am actually prophetically offended, planning a retort should something happen that is probably unlikely. I'm disgusted to admit that I was almost eager for the opportunity to complain, even if it involved minor burns. But I'm not alone in my bristling because it seems like we are a culture that has perfected the art of being offended. And this is ironic, because surely our verbosity is perhaps only matched by our fragility. Some while ago, Gary Lineker, he of football and crisp fame, made a casual comment about one of his bald co-presenters who found the comment amusing, only to discover that complaints were made, which is staggering, and I say that as one with a hairstyle that is a shrinking peninsula. A couple of days later, an American television host reported that young Prince George had taken up ballet and suggested that his interest in dance might not last long, which triggered rage among ballet lovers everywhere. They demanded an apology and suggested that she was guilty of bullying. Opinions may differ about the wisdom of her comment, but I think those who suggest that we are becoming a snowflake society where everyone is perpetually offended might just have a point. Banter is part of our culture, especially in the realm of comedy. While there are some comedians who have no thought for people who genuinely suffer, and there's no excuse for that tasteless lack of talent, surely we can take things too far. Some people seem to live their entire lives permanently camped on the brink of being offended. An offense can be weaponized. It can be used as a nifty ruse, Instead of stamping our feet and huffing and puffing with childish petulance, we employ the trembling bottom lip routine and cry that we're offended. And then when others dash to appease us, we become the victor while disguising ourselves as the aggrieved victim. And then Christians have an extra weapon that can upgrade a pop gun of offense into a relational equivalent of something nuclear, God. Upset at the sermon, the worship song, the service time, the pew arrangement, not being included in the flower rota. If you love being offended, join a church because there's no shortage of issues that can irritate. We insist that our preference or opinion mirrors God's view on the matter. The Lord of the cosmos is called as a witness for our prosecution. Meanwhile, back on the train, that chap sitting opposite me was in serious danger, he had finished his coffee, so I was denied the opportunity to be scolded and thus be scalding, but he was inching his laptop yet further into my already minuscule table territory. Helpfully, I decided to get over it, not worry, and conflict was avoided. Perhaps somewhere in the distance, angels were sighing with relief. When we know our own weaknesses, and when we refuse to be slow on the I'm offended trigger, Surely we prevent conflict that damages others, ourselves, and the body of Christ. Before we close tonight, as we began the program by talking about the conflict issues among the younger royals, we should surely take a moment to pray for them. How much better it would be for all concerned if words like grace and forgiveness were in the headlines. And then let's pray for our churches that they might truly be places where conflict is handled in a healthy and biblical way. Let's also pray for ourselves. I am anxious that we as a nation, and globally in this case of royal conflict, we can be guilty of that nasty attitude called schagenfreude. So let's pray. Father, we pray for the royal family at this time. When their conflicts are becoming increasingly public, we pray for peace, for reconciliation, For harmony. We pray for the churches of which we are a part, that we might be examples where healthy conflict can be engaged in, where questions can be asked, and where arguments can be resolved. And we pray for ourselves. May we never be guilty of rejoicing at the downfall of others. May we be a people who are low on offense. And high on self awareness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you with peace this week, and I'll see you next time. Lucas on Life.